You're listening to the Sojourn Montrose podcast. For more sermons and content, visit sojournmontrose.org. Cool, so I don't, I don't know all of you intimately, so you probably don't know completely my story, um, but I've considered myself a Christian since I was seven years old, which means the majority of my life now. Um, and I haven't, I haven't followed Jesus perfectly by any means, but the reason I think I've been a follower of Jesus since that time is because anytime I've sinned, I've felt conviction. And I believe that conviction comes from the Spirit, the Holy Spirit that's been sent to be with me. So that's why I consider myself a follower of Jesus since a seven-year-old. Um, I'm not going to bring you through the whole story, but I want to focus on one, one three- or four-year stretch of my life when I went to um, undergraduate school at UNC Wilmington, go Seahawks. Um, I, I, there's actually a few in here, which is funny. Um, I wouldn't expect that. But, but uh, I, I went to undergrad there, and I remember that time in my life as a time where I was still a follower of Jesus. Um, but those three or four years were fundamental in my walk because of how misguided I think I was. You see, those four years, I can summarize my outlook of faith as this. Um, I, I'm okay by myself. I can read the Bible sometimes by myself. I can do devotionals by myself. I can read really hip Christian nonfiction by Francis Chan and Don Miller by myself. Um, I can even occasionally go to a church by myself when I feel really bad about Saturday. Uh, but I never belonged anywhere. I looked down on the local church. I thought church was um, an old thing that didn't really apply to me now. I didn't believe I needed anyone else. I didn't believe I needed to serve anyone else. I didn't believe that I belonged to anyone else. So this is fundamental in my life because it's also the three or four years of my life that are most marked by sin. I I, I fell in sexual sin, in pride, in anger, in jealousy. There's a lot of words from my undergraduate time that I wish I had back. There's a lot of actions that I wish I had back. My point in sharing this is I don't think those two things are unrelated. I'm not saying that's universal for everybody, but I'm saying that I don't think my absence from belonging to people who cared about me and loved me has has nothing to do with the way I walked in sin. So today as we... um, Whoops, I kind of knocked this off, sorry. Today as we talk about being part of the Trinity of the Trinitarian Church, right? The, the Church of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. I want us to come away with an understanding that our belonging is rooted in who God is and who He's created us to be. So who God is, we learned last week, right? God is communal. He exists in three persons: the Father, Son, and Spirit. They relate to each other perfectly. The way they love each other is perfect. And by looking at the Trinitarian Godhead, the Father, Son, and the Spirit, and the way they relate, we have a lot to learn. Right? So, like I said, I don't believe my story is, is universal. I don't necessarily apply that to everybody who's away from the local church. But I do believe that as followers of Jesus, we make a mistake, a dangerous mistake, when we move, remove ourselves from the belonging of community. It was dangerous for me. 
I've been there. And we said this a lot, but I'll say it again in our five years, that God's purpose has always been to build for himself a people both to whom and through whom he reveals himself to the world. God's purpose has always been to build for himself a people both to whom and through whom he reveals himself to the world. So let's explore how Matthew 28, this is known as the Great Commission, right? God's call, Jesus' call with authority of what we're supposed to do. Um, Let's explore how this actually also speaks about who we're supposed to be. Because usually when, you know, anybody I've heard preach this preaches it as a, this is what we need to do. But I think it's rich, equally rich, if not richer, for us to, to look at it through the lens of who are we supposed to be because of this? Who are we? When this is said. So to to set it up briefly, uh, this is the end of the Gospel of Matthew, one of the four accounts of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. Um, And in this moment, uh, Jesus has been crucified. His disciples have scattered because the one they were following is dead. And yet two women named Mary, both of them, go to the tomb where he is laid, and instead of a dead body, they see the risen Lord. So these two Marys run, and they gather the disciples and say, actually, he's alive. And the disciples who have doubted um, come, and here's where the story picks up. It says this, Jesus came to them and says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So when we're talking about uh, tri- who we are as a Trinitarian church, who we are in the Father, Son, and Spirit, let's start with baptism. I'm not going to spend a ton of time unpacking the sacrament of baptism. If you have questions about that, we'd love to talk to you about baptism and why we do it. Um, but let's see what happens when we baptize. Jesus states that all authority has been given to him. So baptism is a sacrament that we observe as the church when people become Christians, when they become followers of Jesus, when they choose to follow him. So when we baptize, we signify, right, like death and life. Death in the water, we raise up from the water, which signifies resurrection, right? Just like Jesus died in resurrection. So we literally dunk you in the water and raise you out of the water, symbolizing an old self dying and a new self rising. And if you've seen a baptism here, you know that we follow these words uh, verbatim. We say, we the church baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. It's a beautiful thing. But when we say baptized into the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit, what, what do we mean? What do we mean by that? Well, it means a few things, but I think primarily it means that our new self is not our own. I think it's a compelling case that we now belong to God the Father through the work of God the Son and by the power of the Holy Spirit that convicts and sustains. We don't own ourselves anymore. Baptized in the name of God means that we are not our own. And belonging with God individually through one person's baptism means that we're um, also individually becoming part of something corporate something together. 
It means we share a name, right? If you're baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, and I'm baptized in the name of the Father, and Son, and Spirit, we are baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit. So when Cole up here just a second ago said, we are, we are family, um, that's just, just a ploy to get people to, to come around here. Yeah, we're a family. We actually believe that a shared name makes us a family. And that shared name is the name of God. As we belong to God, we share a corporate reality, a together reality. And so, because we share a name with each other, that is God's name, we belong to God, but we also belong to one another. Right? That's, that's part of what we say when we're a family, is that we belong to one another. So, what, what does it mean to belong to God, and what does it mean to belong to each other? Um, Matthew 28 tells us in the next line, teaching them to observe all that Jesus commanded. So, part of our belonging to God and to each other means that we observe all that Jesus commanded. Through our belonging to God, we become slaves to God. And I know we, we talk about being free. We talk about being free from sin. But really, when we belong to God, we're slaves to Him. That's a, that's a good thing. Um, because of what he commanded. So if we're going to observe all that Jesus commanded, we need to know what Jesus commanded. And I think the best summary is Matthew 22 says this, a lawyer asked Jesus a question to test him, teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the law? And he says, love your God, the Lord your God, with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. This is the greatest and first commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all of the law and the prophets. So, we are enslaved to these commands. Love God and love each other. Belonging to God means we love Him. We listen to Him. And what does He say? He says, love me and love each other. That's what it means to observe His commands. Right? And, and we need to remember the word observe is not learn. I don't, I don't mean that we should teach and be able to recite his commands. That's good, but only in so far as it allows you to observe his commands. Observe means do his commands. Practice his commands. Practice loving God. Practice loving each other. Observing commands means that we'll follow his commands. It means that as we grow in our understanding of what it means to follow Jesus and love one another that will apply it to the way we behave, the way we treat others, the way we live as members of this community, the way we talk to each other, the way we talk to ourselves. Because of our triune name that we share, our desires and actions will change. Belonging to God means we'll grow in the way that we follow Jesus. And belonging to each other, that means that we will love each other as ourselves. And the, the beauty and in, in the easy thing about this is that observing what God commands is a way to love God, and what he commands is that we love each other. So it's a way to love each other. It's a cyclical fulfillment of the law of God. Bearing the name of the Trinity means you observe what Jesus commanded. Jesus said, love God. Loving God means we love our neighbors. 
When we love our neighbors, we're loving God. When we love God, we're obeying what he commanded. And the cycle repeats and repeats and repeats. So the triune badge, the the badge of the Father, Son, and Spirit that we all share means we belong to God. And being baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit means we belong to each other as well. So, what happens when we fail to do this? What happens when we don't love each other like ourselves? What happens when we reject the idea that we belong to each other? If you've been in a parish or a Christian community long enough, you know that conflict will come. Why? Because conflict means that we're not loving God or we're not loving others as ourselves. You see, we we forget that those around us in the church have the name Father, Son, and Spirit marked on them. Sometimes we forget that we have it marked on us. So when we forget that each other, that, that one another bears the image of God. When we forget that, feathers get ruffled, to put it lightly. And ultimately, we end up, we end up over-individualizing our faith. Belonging to the triune fellowship of God marks us as members of the church of God. But when we over-individualize our faith, we miss this point. Yes, the church is made up of individuals, I don't want to pretend like it's not, but God's purpose was to win for himself a people, not individual persons. So that means we submit ourselves to who? To each other. When we individualize our Christian walk and place ourselves outside of Christian community, we fail to live into our belonging to God and our belonging to each other. That's me in college. When I just belong to myself, I'm in trouble. Right? There aren't enough online sermons. There aren't enough Christian nonfiction books. There aren't enough individual personal devotions. Right? Good things, but only good in, if, in, in that they supplement true, local, hard community made up of imperfect people that bear a perfect triune name and teach each other to observe what Jesus perfectly commanded. Our God is communal. It's one of the beauties of Christianity is that um, our God is communal. And we reflect the Trinity when we live in deep, hard, trusting community, all of us serving each other in different ways that are di- that we're, um, because we're diversely gifted. That means that there are things that we don't uh, that means that when hard things come up, we don't leave, right? If, if our example is the Trinity, then Christ's crucifixion is, is one example of perceived conflict. Jesus is sent to die by his community, by the Trinity. May he sacrifice all, humbling himself to death on a cross. His response is this, my father, if it's possible, let this cup pass. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. So that's our example of loving through difficulty. Jesus' crucifixion is eternally more difficult than anything we'll experience in Christian community. Anything we could, ha- we could uh, suffer through at the hands of broken brothers and sisters in our parishes or in our community are nothing compared to the crucifixion. 
But true humility and love demand that we suffer well with one another. This can only happen in the context of the church. So at Sojourn Montrose, we practice and observe our belonging to each other. Yes, in this context, in the, on the Sunday gathering, but also in the context of a neighborhood parish. A group of 10 to 20 folks that meet regularly, pray for one another, and suffer well with one another. You will be tempted to believe it's not necessary to gather. You will be tempted to believe that you are alone. You will be tempted to believe that no one understands you. You will be tempted to believe nobody has your doubts. You'll be tempted to believe that nobody struggles with the same sins that you struggle with. You will be tempted to believe that community might be easier somewhere else. You will be tempted. Because, let's call it what it is, it's a tactic of Satan to make you feel alone. But here this church, you who bear the name Trinity, you belong. You aren't alone. Some folks, we might not understand what you're going through, but God does. Right? Because we share a name, we're not going anywhere. We'll walk with you as long as it takes. Brene Brown is a brilliant, brilliant professor in Houston uh, who speaks about shame. She's got a really famous TED Talk devoted to it that I recommend, but uh, Brene is also a Christian. And referring to the church, she says this. I thought, and I'm paraphrasing, I thought the church was going to be an epidural for my pain. I thought the church was going to take away my pain. But when I got in the thick of it, instead I realized the church was not an epidural, but a midwife. The church stood beside me and said, push, it's supposed to hurt. I'm pretty aware of this analogy. Well, less so than my wife, Micah, who is really keenly aware of this analogy. She labored 40 hours. 36 without an epidural. Um, But I couldn't do anything about the pain. My role was to hold a hand and say, push, it's supposed to hurt, pain is progress. And as much as I wanted to understand or take some of that pain, I couldn't do a thing about it. The analogy is beautiful on this side of Jesus' return Because community isn't going to take away pain or suffering. The church is not going to take away pain or suffering. But I can promise you this, we'll stand beside you, sometimes imperfectly, but we'll grab a hand and we'll squeeze and we'll say, push, it's supposed to hurt. That means when you're hurting, when you're in labor, when you're in doubt, depression, it means you have to speak up, too. None of this, how are you? I'm fine. Things are good. How can we grab a hand when you're going through the hardest seasons of your life if you won't share with your community that you're in the hardest season of your life? It takes honesty, right? Fine isn't good enough for our communities. How are we really? And if you're good, share it. And if you're not, share it. It's God's intent that you would be part of deep, local, honest, 
authentic community. And I'm not saying we're perfect here. I won't say we're perfect here until Jesus returns. But we will grow in this. And one day, when Jesus returns, we will know what true, perfect community looks like. And until then, we're going to do the best we can. We're going to suffer with each other. We're going to grab hands, and we're going to say, push. Okay, so we don't do community perfectly. We will fail each other, but let's revisit the commission of Jesus, the Great Commission. We know what we are. We belong to God. We bear a triune name. We know that we'll fail to uphold that name. We'll fail to observe all that Jesus commanded. But we belong to each other, so we know that we will reflect the Trinity. But here's the beauty of all of this. It's the beginning of of the verse that Cole read. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to Jesus. What does this mean? Well, it means that all power, all, all lordship over our life has been given by the Father, granted to the Son after his death and resurrection which means Jesus' life, death, and resurrection have satisfied God's wrath towards sin. The authority being given to Christ marks it being finished. So, when we're baptized into the triune name, we're badged into triune fellowship with God and each other, which means freedom from sin and freedom from shame and freedom from death are ours. We, through the gift and power of the Holy Spirit, get to actually love each other. We actually can love God. We actually can love each other. We're enabled to through the freedom that was won. The death and resurrection of Jesus means that wrath has been satisfied and he is our Savior. He saved us. The authority given to Jesus means that he is Lord. He's Lord over us. All authority is Lord. All saving grace is Savior. And so what does Jesus do with his authority? He proclaims that we should go. Right? Verse 19 in our English translation says, Go and make disciples of all nations. And I think that's a faithful translation. Um, But in the West, increasingly, go and make disciples of all nations has been individualized. Right? Go and make one disciple and then next week try and make another disciple, and then next week try and make another disciple, right? It's been, it's been individualized. Don't get me wrong, there's, we, we want the individual. We want the one and the one and the one and the one. That's all good, but um, what the call is for the church, really, the church to lead the world in humility, service, just like Jesus did. So we are to lead the world. And so I said I think that translation is good because um, it it helps us get a good understanding of it. But but if we look at the literal Greek, and I really, I I don't even like really saying that word because it makes me, or that phrase because it makes it sound like I'm a professor or something, but um, I don't know Greek. Uh, But somebody else told me if we look at the literal Greek, it This phrase is not go and make disciples of all nations. It is go disciple the ethnicities. The word is ethne, where we get ethnicity from. So this call is really not 
go and make a disciple. It is church, disciple the people of the world. And disciple just means follow, follow Jesus. So teach the world how to follow Jesus. That means we evangelize. Yeah, it means we evangelize one person, hopefully more than one at one time, but it, it means that individuals are added, yeah. But it also means that we serve the world through hospitality. It also means that we welcome foreigners and refugees into our homes. It also means that we have dinner with neighbors and strangers. It also means that we heal the sick in our community through prayer, care, and medicine. It also means that we engage in social justice through prayer, but also service and our political system. And it also means that we plant more and more and more churches in areas that don't have them and need them domestically, globally. The church is called to embrace the suffering of the world just like Jesus did. We don't belittle the suffering of the world. We don't isolate from it. And it would be wrong to think um, that our specific church has a specific mission. The mission is to go. That's the mission of the Trinity, right? Jesus is sent. Jesus goes to the world. Jesus is sent by the Father. Likewise, the Spirit is sent from the Son. Go into the world. It's the mission of the Trinity. So, as part of our name, our name being Father, Son, and Spirit, a name that we bear, we also bear a word. We bear the word go. It's not something we do. It's our identity. Ed Stetzer, a theologian, puts it this way. The church is sent on mission by Jesus. It's not that the church has a mission, but rather the mission has a church. We join Jesus on his mission. The mission has a church. So mission permeates the Trinity. Therefore, mission permeates our identity as individuals, but also as the church. That means just as much as we belong to one another, we also belong to those outside these walls. We exist for the sake of the church's non-members. We exist for the benefit of those outside the church. Of course we do. So we have to shift our thinking from when we think discipling the nations. It's not something we choose to do one weekend. Like, man, tonight I think I'm really going to disciple the nations. Or maybe this weekend I'll, I, well, I'm going to go out for this, you know, this person's promotion or something. But after that, I'm really going to disciple the nations. Now, it, it's not something that we do when it strikes us. It's who we are. Our total being is of those who disciple the peoples of the world. That means in the mundane, the workplace, the bar, the coffee shop, the mall, when we rest alone at home, we are speaking to our world. We have a badge that says, in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, So do we represent it well? As a church, yes, we gather. We gather in homes on Sunday in theaters just like this, but just as we are gathered, we are gathering. 
More and more individuals are being baptized into the name of the Trinity. They're being gathered to God's people, right? A people both to whom and through whom God will reveal himself to the world. So our identity is mission. Um, In closing, I want us to remember a few things. One, in our triune baptism, we belong to God and we belong to each other. So our belonging to God means that we teach each other what Jesus commanded. We teach each other to observe it, which includes belonging to one another and loving one another well. Two, this is difficult. We tend towards selfishness. We tend towards isolation. But the authority that Christ has by the power of the Spirit, we can push into community. We can stand with each other. It means you belong. Three, our triune identity means we have a mission. It means we are a mission. Disciple the nations. We serve just like Jesus did. We lead the world through service and humility. And fourth, our comfort is this, the end of the verse. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Jesus is with us. The Holy Spirit is in us. We have true, beautiful fellowship with the God of the universe who is with us in the person and work of the Spirit right now. That should be a great comfort to you. It is a great comfort to me. Okay, so what can you do this week because of all this? First, I think you can be part of a parish. If you haven't been to one yet, I encourage you to go this week. If you are in one, I encourage you to press into it this week. When you do, you press into your identity as a reflection of the triune God. Belong to one another in love. Allow yourself to belong. Encourage those suffering to push. If you're suffering, voice it. Teach each other to observe what Jesus has commanded. You belong. Remember that this week. Two, go and disciple the nations. Serve in leadership that's humble. Serve your neighbor. Be hospitable. Our example is Jesus. So that means we learn more and more and more every day what this means. But you have a mission. You are a mission. Pray and engage your unbelieving neighbor. Pray, pray for and engage your coworker, your family member. Invite them. Invite them to belong. And third, be kind to yourself. The Holy Spirit is with you until the end of the age. That means you have comfort. It's not a free pass to sin, but be kind to yourself. Rest in the fact that because you bear the name of Father, Son, and Spirit, you will grow and you will bear fruit. Shame has no place here. It's good news. So my ending words to you and to myself this morning are, would we go? Sojourn Montrose, would we go and disciple the nations that are represented in our city and our neighborhood? Would you go and disciple the nations or remember that Jesus is with you? Let's pray.
Father, we, call, we, we get to call you that. Praise should overflow from our mouths, should overflow in our lives because we get to call God Father. And there's so much wrapped up in that, but ultimately, Lord, we trust you. We trust that you will grow this church, not in number, but in spirit, in faithfulness, in love, in belonging for one another. How majestic is your name? We sang this morning, Lord, let that be on our lips. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Let that be on our lips that when we say that, we talk about a community of God, the triune fellowship of the Father, Son, and Spirit that we get to reflect. We don't have to reflect. We get to reflect because we've been invited in. Would you minister to the individuals in the room who don't feel like they bear that name? Would you reveal if somebody truly doesn't bear that name that they would step into that? But for those of us who do, would you give them comfort this morning? A reminder that your spirit is with them till the end of the age. It's powerful. We trust you. We praise you. We love you. Help us worship and be sent to disciple the people. It means we celebrate well with each other. We suffer well with each other. Help us to disciple the people by your power, Holy Spirit. And we praise you. We praise you for the work of the cross. We pray all this in your name. Amen.